I'm Major Robinson. Leslie Messer. Mary Stranahan. Senator Dwayne Ackney. Marcy McLean in Billings, Montana. In, in Helena, Montana. Colstrip, Montana. Sydney, Montana. From Arley, Montana. And you are listening. And you're listening to. And you are listening to Listen First. Listen First. Listen First. You are listening to the podcast Listen First Montana. Hi, this is Chantel Schieffer, President and CEO of Leadership Montana. Views and opinions shared by guests of Listen First Montana do not reflect the opinions of all of our alumni or organization. We are a large group with lots of opinions, believe me. If you hear something that makes you uncomfortable, we invite you to listen deeply, listen hard, and listen first. The more we can have compassion for one one another and understand that life's hard for everybody and the only way we're going to get through it is with each other. So let's help one another. The better off we'll be. Welcome to Listen First Montana, a podcast of Leadership Montana. I'm Eric Halverson. Today, I'm in Helena, speaking with Kelly Cresswell, current chair of the Leadership Montana Board of Governors and executive director of Reach Higher Montana. Kelly is a graduate of the Leadership Montana class of 2006 and is currently in the master's class. Kelly Cresswell, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Eric. It's great to be here. I first want to say that as it goes, typically I have a pre-podcast conversation with guests and I called Kelly up and we had a very good half an hour conversation and then five minutes after we hung up the phone, I, I got this email. And it's from Kelly and she said, oh, I thought of something and it's mostly an attachment and this attachment is a one-page beautiful PDF and it is a user manual for Kelly Cresswell, Executive Director of Retire Montana. It has your core values, it has how the data describes you, your Myers-Briggs, the fact that you love corgis, your superpower is creativity. I love this so much. When did you make this document and your team? Tell me all about it. So this originated at the Leadership Montana master's class, um, which I am part of this year. So in my, um, my home team group, we were talking about something that we read in the Leadership Challenge about this guy who created this user manual when he was coming into a company so that all of the employees would know very simply who he was and what he cared about to kind of break down barriers with, you know, who's the new guy? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. So when our home team group was talking about this, we're like, oh, that's so awesome. We're going to do that. And I was driving back from West Creek where we had our uh, master's class, our first session. And I thought this would be an awesome team retreat thing to do with my team. So I came up with some questions. I worked with one of my colleagues on what else should we ask? I borrowed the values cards from Jen and our whole team went through this process where we identified our core values, defined them for ourselves, answered these questions. And then my colleague, Kelly Street, who's our marketing director, Um, I gave them to her. She was part of this planning process, and this is what she came up with. She's amazing. So everybody on my team has this one-page user manual, and it was so fun. It was so fun. I know everyone on my team really well. So my experience is different than where the idea originated. I wasn't introducing myself to a new group, but I still learned things about my teammates. 
So let's talk about who you are. So let's start at the beginning. So you grew up in Helena. Tell us a little bit about that. I did. So um, I it was born in 1973, uh, way back in the day. <laughs> um, I'm the oldest in my family. My brother and sister are twins. And the twin thing is interesting. We can talk about that in a few minutes if you want to. Because you have twin children as well. I do. <laughs> and get this, my uh, both of my grandmothers were twins. And one of my grandmothers had another brother and sister that were twins. Are you ever concerned that you have a twin walking around the world somewhere? <laughs> I'm not concerned that I have a twin. Sometimes I think, was I was I adopted? <laughs> was I plucked up off, off the street somewhere? Because I have uh, very different interests in many ways than my family. Mm. So growing up, um, we grew up out in the Helena Valley, and my whole family is very into horses. Like everything was about horses. And I, you know, horses are fine. I mean, whatever. It's not my thing. <laughs> it is just not my thing. So growing up, um, our family activities were all around horse things. So that's what we did. Uh, my aunt, my mom's sister, like traveled all over the place. And so my aunt Becky would, you know, send me these cards from Thailand and Taiwan and all of these great places she was going. She lived in Guam for a while. And it's like, that is just so cool. And she's not stuck here with a dang horse, so she can do that. <laughs> it sounds, it's a very much a privilege thing because like most little girls want to grow up and have a horse and I had one and, you know, take it or leave it. Um, <laughs> so I get that. But it just seemed like there was so much more in the world than all of the horse things. Yeah. Um, so after high school, I went to Helena College, which I'm so old, it was called the Votech back then. Mm -hmm. um, for a while, I went for about a year and decided, you know what, this this is not really my thing. At the time, the University of Montana Western had a remote program. So the professors would drive from Dillon to Boulder, and people from Helena would drive to Boulder, and we'd have classes for three hours a night, four nights a week. We'd go on campus, usually one time a week for a class over the weekend, um, or one time a month. Um, and I, that was a really interesting experience for me because I was a traditional college age person at that time, but I was working full time and having this experience with people who were older than me, who had done some great things in their lives and their careers, but always had this goal of obtaining their four year degree. So having that experience with them and hearing how much they loved and appreciated the opportunity to pursue their education just really stuck with me. And from a practical standpoint, doing college that way allowed me to work full time and go to school at night. So, you know, burning the candle at both ends, but I didn't borrow a penny. I was able to pay for all of it. Mm -hmm. I finished it in four years. And um, really, it was, it was very much a transformational thing in my life. So I did that. Um, when I was working, I worked for the state. Um, I worked for the Department of Labor and Industry for about 10 years in a number of various roles. Um, one of my favorite jobs was working for Wendy Keating, who was the Commissioner of Labor at the time. And she was coming up to the end of that administration and had planned to retire. And I thought, you know, this has been a good run. And I really like my work and I really like this department but I don't want to do this job for anybody but Wendy. So I was starting to look for opportunities, and lo and behold, an opportunity for a program director opened at Student Assistance Foundation. The Department of Labor and Industry had partnered with Student Assistance Foundation on um, a career exploration project before, and when we were doing that partnership, I thought, 
That is really cool. That's a cool organization, and they can do some really good things for students. Maybe someday I'll have an opportunity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it just worked out that I had the opportunity, and I was in that position for about six months and then promoted to a vice president position at Student Assistance Foundation. So okay. that's how I got here. Okay, so let's talk about Retire Montana, people that you're trying to serve and the work that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. So we exist to help students um, achieve personal success in education, career, and life. That's what we're trying to do. And that encompasses all of the educational opportunities you can imagine. So we focus some of our work solely on schools in rural Montana. We have outreach staff, and that's all they do is work with rural schools. Um, We have programs that are specific to youth in foster care to help them pay for college and also to explore just what are my options? What does it even mean if I were to go to college? Do I want to go to college? Maybe I want to do something else. So we can talk about that. We do a lot of work in that space. Um, We have some newer programs for youth apprenticeship that I'm really excited about. It's, um, it's It's a big push. It's a big lift to get this program off the ground, but I think it can be so transformational for students because it provides them the opportunity to learn and earn on the job while they're still... Um, pursuing their education to be successful in their career, but they're they're getting that on the ground experience. They're learning as they go. I mean, you you can learn a lot through school. I mean, I love school. I'd I'd still be in college if I could. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something to be said for the practical application of what you have learned, and I think apprenticeship models do that really well. A youth apprenticeship is offered to students who are between the ages of 16 and 19 when they start. So just like many people say, well, college isn't for everybody. Yeah, youth apprenticeship probably isn't for everybody either. Sure. But for those who are interested in it, it's an awesome model. Okay. What jobs should I be thinking about when I hear that? Almost any. Okay. So there are hundreds of apprenticeable occupations. Traditionally, apprenticeships have been used in the trades, so electrical, plumbing, HVAC, those kinds of things, but you can use the model with many different careers. So for example, we have nursing youth apprentices in Billings. Uh, We have an early childhood education youth apprentice here in Helena. We have an HVAC apprentice in the Flathead Valley. Um, So we're starting very, very small, uh, partly, well, mostly because it requires an employer who is ready to make that commitment to bring on a youth apprentice. I think it's really easy to make assumptions about what youth are capable of or not. And so some employers see this 16 to 19 year old person that um, even though we're saying, no, really, they could do this. Like this is, these are the classes they took in high school. They're very interested in this career. It's a three-year commitment. You're paying them and you're helping to pay for their education. Uh, I don't know, says many employers. Um, so that's, that's really our trick. And the three employers we're working with currently are awesome. They're just really incredible people who lead these organizations and also have a vision for creating these kinds of opportunities. So it works. There's lots of um, lots of models for work-based learning that are not the same commitment as a youth apprenticeship, like a multi-year commitment. So we're also working with some employers on those models too. So maybe internships or even a job shadow so that a student could come onto a workplace floor and just see what do you do at this business and how does it work and what what do people do all day um, those kinds of things so really trying to provide career exploration opportunities for students that run the gamut from a job shadow all the way to a youth apprenticeship 
Kelly, I'm curious to learn more about Retire Montana's focus on this population of Montanans, these roughly 16 to 19-year-olds who are at a critical juncture in their lives. Can you tell us more about that? Um, we're really interested in this particular population because the um, number of students who go to college in Montana stays pretty flat. It hasn't changed much for a long time. And it's not as many as one might think. Um, so oftentimes, I think students think that's what they're supposed to do. You're supposed mm-hmm. to go to college. And I, I want to be really clear that I'm not bashing college because I love college. Sure. Um, but I also love lots of other opportunities. And I think... I think there's room to be more accepting and appreciative of different paths for people and appreciation for different types of occupations. We hear a lot of talk about we need more people to go into the trades and we need more people to do this and we need more people to do that. But it may not be your kid who's the person that needs to do that because your kid's going to go to college because that's what you expect. Oh, yeah. Um, and there there are some opportunities for students that are just incredible, and it's not about the money they make. There are some really lucrative positions in the trades, but we're trying to get a little deeper than that. What is it that that student cares about? What does success look like to them? Why? How did they, how did they come across this? Like, what's the story behind their passion for whatever it might be, from driving a truck to being a biologist, like where does it come from? What's the story? What's the interest? So I think just working with students in schools to provide those opportunities to dig a little bit deeper, see what's available. And if a student wants to be a welder and that's what they're passionate about, that's just as important as a student who wants to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, run, run their own business, whatever it might be. It's all valuable and it's all important. So let's let's equalize that a little bit, explore all of the opportunities and help them kind of winnow down to this this is a pathway that speaks to me. What are the criteria for uh, youth to be involved with Retire Montana? You know, there's really other than the foster care programs, there's really not a lot of like application or recruitment for people to be in a program. So um, our structure is we have these five outreach staff who serve the entire state of Montana going into schools, um, interacting with lots of student groups like FFA and DECA and Family and Consumer Sciences and all of those. So they do a lot of classroom presentations. They'll come in and help. They'll do like a classroom workshop on how do you find scholarships? Um, How do you choose your career? Uh, What are some resources for you? How do you write a scholarship essay? How do you ask for a letter of recommendation? I mean, they've got a pile of things that they do in classrooms. And then they also work with students one-on-one. Like they'll have students email or call them or the school counselor will say, hey, would you come in and talk to Susie? She's really interested in, um, in, I don't know, wildlife biology and has some questions about how she could prepare for that. So we work a lot with schools. We work a lot with students and parents as well um, on that aspect. We have tremendous resources on our website. So we have this huge list of Montana scholarships. We fund a lot of scholarships. Um, We'll award probably $750,000 worth of scholarships this year when the year is all said and done. Um, So we, you know, provide access to those resources. We've got all these videos on our website. So there's a lot of content that students and parents can access on their own. And then when we get into more specific programming outside of the outreach piece of it, whether it's our foster care programs or our youth apprenticeship programs, those are more intensive. Okay, Kelly, last question about Retire Montana. 
you all are doing amazing things with youth who are in or have, who have been in the foster care system. Can you tell us more about your work for that population? Yeah, absolutely. So we are the contract administrator for the Chafee Education and Training Voucher Program. That provides up to $5,000 per year for up to five years for youth who have aged out of the foster care system. So um, they've they've aged out or they were adopted after the age of 16, which doesn't happen all that often. It does happen, not frequently. So um, the students who have access to those resources, almost all of them are also eligible for a Pell Grant. So between their $5,000 from Chafee, their Pell Grant, which is 6,500-ish, um, it can go a long way towards minimizing the expense or the debt that they would need to take on. And we work really hard to try to have them have no debt to the best of our ability. Um, so in addition to helping them access these Chafee funds, we help them access other scholarship resources. Um, you know, we're always emailing, you should apply for this. Did you see this scholarship? Um, so that's one piece of it. But when we started doing this work, um, it became pretty evident that there was not a lot of understanding um, or accurate perception of what college really is. At the time, the state was doing what they called a computer camp. So all these kids that were eligible for the funding would come to Helena and stay at the Colonial Inn and have like a pool party over the weekend and get a computer and see ya, off you go. There really wasn't a lot of, you know, let's talk about what you're going to do with this and what this money really means for you. So we reimagined it as a summit that is on a college campus um, with all of these kids together. They still get a computer that is theirs to keep, but they also get a college experience in a a condensed amount of time for like three days. So they stay in the dorms and they eat in the cafeteria and they do these mini classes and we do a career fair for them. They get to do some fun things, um, fun, fun, um, affordable age-appropriate things for 17, 18, 19-year-olds to do to pass the time. So when we're in Billings, we go to the zoo or we'll go to a baseball game, those kinds of things. Um, And it's really cool. I remember the first year that the summit happened, one of the students wrote on her evaluation that she thought college was like a group home and she wasn't interested in that. But coming to the summit showed her that, no, this is powerful. This is Um, very empowering that you have choices that you can make, that there's resources to help you do it. And it's really up to you to take that educational opportunity and do with it whatever you want to. So if you want it to, um, if you want it to change your life, it can. Do you have an example of the impact of that work? Nationally, the outcomes for youth in foster care to graduate from college, fewer than 3% of them will graduate from college. And our kids in Montana, based on the data that we've been compiling over all these years we've done this work, we're at about 14% of the students who have this foster care experience and go through our programs have graduated from college. So, I mean, that's not great. Like, I wish it was 95%, but realistically, that's pretty good. You've nearly quintupled the college graduation rate. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. And we have lots of work to do. seems like your connection to this work is about empowerment. Yep. Right? Yep. I, tell me, tell me like what speaks to your heart about lifting kids up and showing them uh, the pathways that they have towards 
just wonderful, fulfilling lives and careers. I think, well, I know that I always like an underdog. And I love stories about someone that, you know, people around them kind of put them in this box of they are this without really, you know, uncovering a little bit more or asking that person who they were, just kind of deciding this is what who you are. Um, so I think it's really exciting to have an opportunity to get to know these kids, first of all, and they're, every single one of them is amazing. Um, some of them are challenging, you know, and I would say that about my own kids. My own kids are amazing <laughs> and also challenging. Um, but really just seeing them, seeing their eyes open up to something, seeing, seeing them articulate what it is that they care about and what they dream about and being able to play a teeny tiny role in helping them achieve it is just, that's what I love. Yeah. And then they, they go on and they do things that are just above and beyond anything you ever imagined. I mean, it's just so incredible. Tell me a story about that. Ah, so there's, um, well, this is a pretty recent one and it's one of our foster care youth, um, a young lady who, uh, received our funding and, um, She's had some exceptional mentors along the way. She just has. She's done such incredible things. She interned for Deb Haaland in the um, U.S. Senate. Um, at one point in time, she told us at one of our summits, I want to be Denise Juno when I grow up, and she's going to do it. She graduated from college, and she is teaching in Great Falls right now. She's, she's the kindest, biggest-hearted person you've ever met, and she's doing it. Okay, this is actually the last question about you and your team's incredible work. What does the conversation with youth about money look like? Obviously, potential debt is a big consideration. And I'm curious how you talk about doing fulfilling work, work that makes enough money, work that makes the big bucks. What does the money conversation look like? So in my experience, this current generation of students cares much less about money. So I'm, oh. I'm a Gen Xer, so okay. my generation was very interested in, <laughs> like, where can I make a lot of money and have lots of things? That was very important. Um, this generation, that's not, not really the case. Again, here I am generalizing after I said we shouldn't generalize, but um, they care about doing something that means something to them or to the world. That's what they care about. And the mom in me still wants them to be able to pay for their basic needs and, you know, to have a nice life. I think that's important. Um, I think the big question in all of it is, especially for students who do want to go to college and um, want kind of the more well-rounded experience, which is good for them. I think that's, that's cool. Love it. Um, paying a lot of money for some degrees that don't have a lot of job opportunity maybe isn't a good move, especially if you're borrowing money to pay for that education or you're taking a really long time to complete that education or if you're just not sure and you change your major a bunch of times. All of that adds on to the cost of that education. So that to me is really, you know, what are you investing in your education for the life that you want, whether you're motivated by what your salary might potentially be or what impact you might have in the world. I think it's all the same question. Like, what are your inputs? If your inputs for, gosh, I don't want to offend anybody. I, I won't even come up with an example. Um, your inputs for being a widget maker require you to have. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying, Eric. Require you to have this 
degree from this obscure college and oh it's out of state so you're going to pay out of state tuition for that um, and you're probably going to need a master's degree after you're done with your four-year degree to do that so student you're going to have a hundred thousand dollars invested in your widget making career before you ever start your job that pays thirty five thousand dollars a year that doesn't make sense and there are other options so maybe the community college has a great widget making program that you could go to. And it may not provide all of the accoutrements of the traditional four-year campus life experience, but you have to weigh that and decide for yourself what is most important. Is the input that I'm willing to make, that huge financial investment, knowing that that's gonna be with me for a long time, and I'm still gonna land in the same place, is that what I wanna do? Or do I want to look at some options that require less financial or time input that get me to the same place? And I, you know, it's not, it's not a solid answer. Like I can't say this is, this is the playbook for that, but I can have a conversation about, well, look at all these things. And you look at all these things on the other side of what's possible for you. And how, like how sure are you that that's what you want? Again, not taking away the value of exploration that one has when they go off to college. I think that's great. But um, it's a big question that I think a lot of kids wrestle with. And at the same time, you know, we also don't want students to say, well, I can't have that opportunity because of the cost. Or I could Mm -hmm. never go to college because look what it says it costs per year. It says it's $25,000 per year, which is the sticker price. Um, But not understanding the financial aid behind that, like, Based on your circumstances, you may or may not be paying $25,000. You most likely are not. But walking um, a student and their family through what are all their options and um, you know what, what impact really can scholarships make for you. I love scholarships, by the way. We can talk about that too. <laughs> I love them for so many things. But you know, scholarships are work also. So you have to put work into that too. It's not like yeah. you just write one, one awesome essay and that gets you all the money you need. It's not how it works. Mm-hmm. It's like a job. So you need to be looking all the time. What deadlines are out there? What are the requirements? Am I qualified? Um, you know, you, you can get pretty in-depth with your planning process for your scholarship stuff, but it works. It's so cool. And I think students, when they get a scholarship, it just confirms for them that someone else outside of their family sees potential in them. And it's about so much more than the money. So much more. My daughter, um, so my daughter is a sophomore at the University of Providence. She, you know, because I'm her mom, she was working on scholarships all the time and <laughs> was kind of hating me for it. And then she got one for 500 bucks and she was over the moon excited. Yeah. She's like, oh my God, I got this scholarship. I can't believe it. And um, the scholarship provider in this case did like this nice little ceremony at Hometown Helena, which is this community gathering um, back when we could meet in, in person. Um, it meant so much to her. And after that, she didn't fight me one bit about we need to work on the scholarship. She ended up getting a full tuition scholarship at the University of Providence. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. That's yeah. so exciting. Yeah. Really proud of her. <laughs> it would be a little bit of a high stakes situation to have you as a mom <laughs> at that stage of life, I think, right? You'd be like, I'm taking this step with side gaze at mom all the time. <laughs> but a huge advantage, a huge I, I don't know that they <laughs> always felt like it was an advantage, but I tried my best. 
And that's, you know, that's kind of another thing that I'll say about this age group. And this is kind of a vulnerable thing for me to share so you can include it or not. But um, obviously, I'm, I'm sure you knew kids who made some poor choices when they were in this age range. And I know kids who have made poor choices at this age range, including my son. Mm. So um, my my oldest son is 24. He was smooth sailing. He did all the things. And he's got a great job and a family. And everything is good. And then I have my twins, my daughter Sloan and her brother Lane. They just turned 20 years old. Um, Lane has... Um, a big heart and he cares very, very much for people who he perceives as being slighted or left out or not heard or not seen. Maybe because he has felt not heard and not seen a lot. So Lane has been, um, he's kind of drawn to people who may be prone to finding trouble. Um, and he finds it quite easily. So, um, Lane has, uh, he made some choices with some of his friends to vandalize the cathedral, of all things. Um, he was arrested. He was charged with a felony. He will be doing some jail time. Um, it's heartbreaking. You know, you do everything you can for your kids. Um, he was raised in the same family as my other two. He was loved just as much. Um, it's, it's just really difficult. And I think oftentimes we see kids who are struggling and going through these challenges and we think, oh, well, where were their parents? They must have a really shitty home life. All the things. And you just don't know. You know, I love that kid with every fiber of my being. And I always will. I am deeply saddened by some of the choices that he's made. I'm fearful for his future. Um, right now he seems to be kind of getting things on track, but as a parent, it's awful. It's awful. So you just never know, you know, what you need to wonder what's happening here. And I, I still wonder with Lane, um, sometimes what is happening here and why, like, why does he make the choices that he makes? He's very adamant. He wants to make his own choices and he's an adult. So at our house, always, you had choice, but you also live with the consequence of it. And when you're a child, and we can help you with that, and we can talk through consequences, and when that consequence happens, and we can help you see how this, you know, consequence came to be, that's one thing. But when you're an adult, and you've had a really great life, and you choose things with really poor consequences, it yeah, it sucks. It is so hard, so hard. So this will be with him for a long time. Um, so some of his hopes and dreams are very much on hold right now because he can't do them. It's a consequence of his choices. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. It brings up something for me, which is <clears throat> that you you had talked about your own story of being, I think your twin siblings were seven years younger than you and you're a little outside of town and a part of the thing that, a part of what draws you to the work you do is that you felt a little lonely at that time and that yeah. that time of life can be 
so challenging and so wonderful at the same time. And I wonder if you'd just tell us a little bit more about your perspective on that. Yeah, yeah. I think at that age, probably from middle school is probably where it starts. Um, I think it's really easy to look at other people and assume that everything is going swimmingly for them. They've got it. You know, they they seem to have everything taken care of and they seem to be so sure of themselves. They seem to have not a care in the world. They have all these friends. Why don't I have that? What am I doing wrong? And that, that comparison piece, I think that's really where it starts, you know, middle school, high school. And you can get into a really weird headspace with that, with not knowing, not being curious about what is their life really like? Nobody, it, adolescence is not easy for anybody. I, I've never met anybody who said, yeah, I'd do that again in a heartbeat. <laughs> it's not easy for anyone. Um, so I, and it's really hard to see that when you're in it. I think looking back on it as an adult, you see that. And, you know, you go to your class reunion and the kids who were super popular and had all this stuff, um, you know, they open up a little bit more about what life was really like. And it wasn't great. They struggled too. So the more we can have compassion for one, one another and understand that life's hard for everybody and the only way we're going to get through it is with each other. So let's help one another. The better off we'll be. It's been really humbling to go through this. Um, I try really hard and I think just naturally I'm not a real judgmental person. Um, but this made me see times where I have been, yeah. you know, with other kids who have gotten in trouble, with friends' kids who have gotten in trouble. And, you know, it's really easy to jump to conclusions and think, well, that's because blah, blah, blah. And my kid would never. There's a meme on Facebook that says, just when you say my kid would never, there they go, nevering like they never nevered before. <laughs> <laughs> and it's absolutely true. Yeah. Kelly, you told me something really beautiful about the importance of saying positive things we see in others. Would you tell us more about that? You know, I um, remind myself all the time to say the things that I'm noticing. So I told you when we talked that I'm a cardiologist, yeah, which does not mean that I can <laughs> fix your aorta. <laughs> it means that in my spare time, I love to do paper crafts and I especially love to make cards. Making cards is my favorite thing. I love sending cards to people. I love making cards for people. And for all I know, 90% of the time they just go in the trash. But I, I just love it. I mean, for me, it's an opportunity to notice, to tell somebody what I noticed, to um, express my appreciation for somebody, even if the note is really small. Like Kate Wiggins is really good at this. Kate Wiggins, who does like our postcard project for Leadership Montana. Do you, have you met Kate? I've not. Huh? Oh, I hope you get to meet Kate. She's amazing. And she has all of these prompts for writing and, um, she did, like, she did a um, LMT Live during the pandemic that was about just that. Like, she does postcards, like, not even note cards. I like note cards so I can write a lot of stuff. <laughs> but she's so good at capturing in a sentence or two something to put on a postcard that will brighten somebody's day. Like, I was traveling through eastern Montana, and I saw 
a sun dog and it was so bright. It made me think of you. Like who wouldn't love to get that in the mail? That's the other piece of being a cardiologist that I really love is people aren't expecting that. Like what comes in your mail, your cable bill, you know, (laughs) a a magazine, you know, and not a magazine that like you want to read, not like the Smithsonian or something (laughs) profound. It's like, you know, the jockey catalog or (laughs) something like that. Um, The the car lot thing with the key stuck to it where they want you to come in and test drive a car. That's what comes in the mail. So, you know, when when you get something from a cardiologist, that means you're pretty special. Okay, the lightning round. Oh boy. Kelly Cresswell. What are you reading right now? I just finished reading Billy Summers, which is a Stephen King book. Oh my God. So I'm all sunshine and light, and I read Stephen King. <laughs> I love Stephen King. Billy Summers, awesome book. Cannot recommend it enough. It's not, you know, like a, there's no ghosts in it at all. It's uh, one of his more real, real stories, more realist, I guess I would say, but. Um, yeah, Great Escape. Yeah. <laughs> you like scary movies and stuff? No, I don't like scary movies, but I love Stephen King books. I just like how he writes. The only stuff of his that he wrote that I didn't like was like the fantasy series. I don't even remember what it was called, but this, I don't know, like all fantasy series, this guy's on this journey in this weird world, and I couldn't even get through the first book. I'm like, what are you doing, Stephen King? <laughs> yeah, Stephen King. <laughs> We thought this was a good idea. Stay in your lane. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. um, What's your favorite thing about being a grandma? Oh, gosh. How much time do you have? (laughs) I love everything about being a grandma. So my grandson, Owen, is four. Um, He's my oldest son, Rex's little boy. And um, he is just the light of my life. Like, time with Owie is the best. He cracks me up. He is so sweet and so smart. He um, he really loves my husband. So my husband's name is Don, and he calls him Papa Don. <laughs> he loves his Papa Don. Papa Don got a convertible, um, which is really a John Deere lawn tractor. Uh-uh. <laughs> we just call it his convertible. <laughs> <laughs> and Owen loves to go ride on the convertible with Papa Don. So we, <laughs> we bought him his own little John Deere cap that he keeps at our house, and it's like his favorite thing. Oh, he'll come amazing. over and I think he's coming to see me and he'll say, he'll hug on me and we'll talk for a minute. And then he'll say, where's Papa Don? <laughs> <laughs> it's the cutest. Oh, the John Deere hat, the full uniform. That's incredible. What is the most important thing you can teach your kids? <laughs> I, I'm sounding like a broken record, but to see other people. Mm-hmm. Um, to put it in gracious space terms, see somebody's spirit, even if they're presenting something else to you. If somebody's angry, like, listen, take a minute, see their spirit. Where is that coming from? What do you know about this person? Like, where's where's their innate goodness? Can you focus on that? Start there. Even when things are hard, it, it will work itself out. Mm. I love that. Um, do you have a TV or a movie recommendation? Oh, gosh. I'm almost afraid to say this because I bet Sherry Jarvis listens to the podcast and Sherry Jarvis recently posted on Facebook, 
how much she does not like Yellowstone, the series. So I'm sorry, Sherry, but I kind of like Yellowstone. I more than kind of like Yellowstone. I love Yellowstone. And 1883, which is the prequel that's now out, is also very good. So, um, What is a habit or a routine that you've developed that has improved your life? Ah, so this goes, I give credit to my colleague Rhonda. I started not even a year ago, gosh, probably last spring, going to a personal trainer twice a week. Hey. And I'm pretty consistent. Like there are weeks when I have things and I just cannot make it. But if I can't make it, like if I'm in town, I'm really good about calling. Her name is Damaris and rescheduling. And I would not even know about Damaris if it wasn't for Rhonda. Cool. And it's like the most convenient thing. It's in the building next door to our office. So it's like, this is this is a good thing. Twice a week. So there, there you have it. Thank you, Rhonda, for connecting me to Damaris. Okay, last one. Your definition of leadership. Hmm. Noticing people and all of their talents and strengths and mobilizing them to achieve a greater goal. Kelly Cresswell, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Eric. This was really fun. Thanks to Kelly Cresswell for taking the time to come on the show. And thanks to you for listening in. If you've enjoyed today's show and want to support Listen First Montana, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Those small steps can really help us connect these stories to more listeners. Our intro song is a rendition of the Montana State song by Scott Gudger, and our other music is from Blue Dot Sessions. We'll see you in two weeks with our next episode. Until then, thanks for listening to Listen First Montana.